What does the overthinking and family mean to me? Hours of discourse that make great listening Analyzing trivial seeming things Often leads to significant discoveries So I hope you'll keep podcasting my friends Hopefully you can use this as it's not copyright infringement I hope it's not copyright infringement Thanks for all your podcasting. This is Overthinking It Podcast episode 458. I'm Matt and that's Pete. Hey, Pete. I am Pete and I am honored and flattered by what we just heard. That was spectacular. Hey, How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing, I'm doing very well. I'm, I'm honored and flattered as well. That was Levi from Washington uh, who uh, recorded that for us. And I appreciate it's not just a karaoke track. He, like, he made that himself. And the way you can know is that the, the way you know that listening to that recording is it's uh, there's, I suppose, Technically, it's a flaw, but I look at it as a mark of artisanality. Um, you can hear the clicks of the fingers on the keys and the kind of the mechanical apparatus of the of the like the piano keyboard or keyboard the synthesizer keyboard. Um, you know, uh, going the keys going up and down, and that is not uh, that's not um, you're not supposed to get that. You're supposed to just get the sound of the instrument and and not the sound of the instrument being the instrument. But that uh, it's an interesting thing. So so uh, yeah. so um, we know that Levi actually made that music himself, as well as writing those fantastic lyrics. Amazing, amazing. And here we are in week two of our three week. A miniseries, I suppose, about the upcoming and soon to be arrived fate of the furious. And and we we set out the hue and cry, right? We set out the call to all the listeners, say we wanted to do a family style podcast where we <laughs> share things that you share with us, right? And we kind of pass it around. And that was one of the things we got, and it was just it was just great. And I agree. It, it fits right to be talking about the Fast and the Furious with respect to this, because this idea that it's like a little bit rough around the edges, you know, it has that little bit of it has a huh. substantial yeah. feel. And it's like a substantial mechanical feel to it. Uh, I mean, it's something I've talked about this a lot in real life. I don't know if I talk about it. So much of the podcast, but I saw an episode of Bar Rescue with John Tapper. <laughs> this is like out of left field, uh, where John Tapper was dressed. This, for those of you not familiar, Bar Rescue is a prestige television show released on Netflix only, uh, which is about a, a white man dealing with the decay of his hegemony. No, 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 that's every other show. Uh, Bar Rescue. <laughs> Bar Rescue is a show about terribly run pubs and clubs and other such things, uh, which are briefly not terribly run, but you know will be terribly run again soon. There's like a squad of people, including a big, loud-mouthed, broad-shouldered fellow who come into this place and yell at everybody and then, like, renovate it. Uh, And one of the things he was showing them is he was picking up and putting down a chair. Right. And he's like, look how heavy that chair is. Right. This chair, this chair feels heavy. That's called perceived value. Right. Is that somebody comes into a bar and they sit in a heavy chair. They're going to pay more for a drink. Right. You can bark those drinks up now because there's perceived value. If you just have a cheap light chair, uh, no one's going to feel like it's special. 
And I think that so whenever you hear uh, a show that struck me as is huge about this was The Crown, where like every yeah. door that shut shut really solidly. Right. Mad Men was like this because there was constantly fabric rubbing against fabric. And there's always the sound of like fine fabrics rubbing together. But there are like auditory, almost tactile cues that what you're looking at is like high quality. I, and I mean, that's yeah. yeah. So there, I, I have a sort of experience with this around here i you know my office actually where i sit podcasting from now um is in downtown culver city uh now culver city was featured in a mark Bittman new york times sunday magazine piece months and months ago about uh fancy fast casual lunch places right each city or each region kind of has its own uh i when i think of these i think of like witchcraft or uh chopped or or uh, wait, no, that's a that's a a that's a, uh, a prestige television show released on on Netflix about a white man <laughs> discussing the dis- decay of his salad. Um, the <laughs> no, it's uh, uh, wait, uh, what are some of these Pete that 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 are up in in Boston in the, in that area? Just so everyone knows, kind of what we're talking about. Well, like prestige lunch places. Yeah, or but but that are like it's like a twelve dollar salad and sandwich place right yeah, like, like well parish in the back bay is one of my favorites makes okay. a delicious meatloaf and like arugula sandwich Ch- right uh, chipotle uh, was, was sort of early on this bandwagon and it's not as fancy and it's at a slightly lower uh it's at a slightly lower price point i'm thinking of places that have at least kind of like a seating option though yeah. i guess most i guess most chipotles do right and so um i was uh uh, going to one of these with my office mates here. I, I, you know, rent an office with two other guys. We don't, we don't work together, but we work uh, in proximity um, because turns out, you know, uh, uh, being alone sucks. And so we have families and, and, uh, and, you know, uh, uh, dinners, Sunday dinners where uh, uh, Dom Toretto says grace. The, um, uh, we go to them and we choose them based on how fancy we want to be. Now they're all the same. Right. They're all it's all like a salad in a plastic container for about 12 bucks. That's that's the entire, uh, you know, that's the entire range of what's uh, what's available to us. And we have all of these sort of healthy, upscale, fast, casual places that were written about in this uh, Mark Bittman trend piece on like healthy, fast, casual, uh, you know, lunch, lunching, luncheon. And, um, you know, this was like ground zero for experimentation that and yet some of them just feel fancier than the others even though it's really it's exactly the same right like it's uh you know it's it's a sandwich or it's a salad or it's some kind of you know fancy white person burrito with uh uh the thing and like that 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 perceived value now i now i bring this up and i belabor this point so much because i think that this is uh, pertinent to the Fast and the Furious franchise, right? Like, if you go back and watch, and, and if you do go back and watch the first Fast and the Furious, do it with uh, Pete and my commentary on it uh, from the overview. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes, but we uh, you can watch the movie and then watch it again, uh, playing an audio track alongside where Pete and I will talk about what you're seeing uh, as we watch the movie along with you. Um, is there available for purchase and download on on overthinking it in the store and I'll put a link in in the show notes to this but we we were sort of um 
after because we we recorded it after the kind of uh, Justin Lin conversion, uh, you know, before they put the Nas on to the franchise and, uh, you know, got it going fast enough that you could drive cars off buildings and stuff like this. And it really had this kind of gritty, um, almost indie film kind of kind of feel to it in terms of not you know not a ton of like super crane shots or things like this or not you know not a lot of like uh cgi effects things like this and also a kind of concern with uh a concern with kind of like lower level crime stuff like as as pete was fond of saying on the uh on that overview the stakes in the original fast and furious uh, are some are some DVD players, and so the, the the franchise itself has gone from the the light chair to the heavy chair sort of feel. That's I mean that's what I uh, that's the the larger point I wanted to make. And like, is that like do you uh, is that do you, do you feel like that's true, Pete, or am I missing something about the the meaning of those those uh, those kind of um, uh, uh, imperceptible markers of value? I think that's true. I, I mean, when I was thinking about Levi's song, I was thinking that like the the sound of the contact of the fingers on the keyboard let you know that it was really being played by somebody, which made it feel to me more precious, right, rather than less precious, and which which I guess could cut both ways, right? Because in the early Fast and the Furious movies, they are making more of an effort to try to sort of depict it to you a group of people and the way that this group of people live, with the acknowledgement that they are not the way that. You you probably live right and this especially this is really the first one and none of the others right tokyo drift does it differently but does a similar thing where it's like you're you're sort of looking from the outside in into a world and there are things that that people do in those those worlds that might be considered to be minor but which are are major in context and that give you the sense that what's happening is important but it's not the same as what you're talking about which is in the later movies the additional polish and the additional uh spectacle and the additional composition like when you think about uh fast five and the big safe right that's being remember remember in fast five yep. how they stole the whole vault and the vault is just being pulled by uh pulled through the streets of rio and is like swinging back and forth like a mad pendulum just smashing everything that's in its way right and the sort of size and weight and impressiveness of that cgi vault right it's like uh, i'm assuming it's mostly cgi i'm assuming they didn't tie an actual bank vault to a car uh, but you know you never know what they do with practical effects these days but it does add a sense of occasion right to like what's happening like oh like this is a big deal and and i think you can see it when you're differentiating very sort of cheap feeling highly cgi movies and more fancy feeling Highly CGI movies, you know, is there a perception of the val value in the things that you're looking at? A lot of that has to do with it, whether things seem to have weight, whether things seem to make the right noises. Um, and I think that when people kind of slam the doors of the cars, I think sometimes Fast and Furious does a good job of it and sometimes doesn't, right? Uh, but it definitely does a better job of it now than it did back when it was just like Paul Walker spinning around that parking lot. Right. That first shot in the first movie where it's like, I'm in a I'm in a either a Civic or an old Nissan and I'm going around a parking lot. And there's this there's this sense of energy to it. But there's also a sense that it's like, 
you're seeing this because it's the only thing we can afford to show you. Right. Right. Which, which is, uh, which makes it feel a little bit cheap. Well, yeah, there, there's um, a sense. I mean, and that's an interesting thing because the sense of value, it doesn't inhere all the time in the quality of the CGI. Right. I mean, it's a yeah. story. It's a, it's created by the storytelling and it's created by the acting as well. And that's a tough thing. It's like a tough mix to get. Right. Because even though a lot of, um, Effort is put into making the Transformers movies and and the like the the fake objects in the Transformers movies seem solid and seem mm. like seem like they have inertia and momentum and like mass like real mass and real kind of solidity. Um, the, there isn't that sense of value when like Chicago is destroyed. You know, uh, there isn't that sense of of yeah. And and this partly has to do with uh, the kind of the inflation the like the the destruction arms race in uh in kind of cgi uh cgi blockbusters right because apparently when the world dreams it dreams of being america and when america dreams it it dreams of destruction so vast that it would lose its privilege uh but the but uh yeah um but the 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 kind of the central insight uh is a in um, Levi's song is a kind of defense of the humanities, right? And like a defense of sort of pure, pure research, because the idea that like often uh, analysis of things that seem inconsequential will lead to consequential, uh, lead to consequential insights, or it may not happen and may not be often like once is enough, you know? Uh, And there is a sort of, there's an argument to be made about kind of uh, a life well lived and an argument to be made about like resource allocation at the level of society and like the human capital agenda of the West um, and and things like this. So I, I appreciate uh, not only that that we have inspired a non-copyright infringing, uh, you know, um, sweet song about our uh, uh, about our show, but uh, but also um, that we've we've inspired a defense of the liberal arts uh mm-hmm. against what against the forces that would you know make it i don't know say say that like uh be very crass about the the dollar value that you put on a college degree or something like that mm-hmm. or your time spent reading um there's there's another there's another thing about this that that strikes me um when we, when we put out this uh w- this call, um, this sort of potluck invitation, we didn't exactly expect the thing that we got, which is that all all of the responses that we got that we're going to sort of share have some sort of expression of gratitude in them. Uh, and and uh, it's like I feel a little bad or I feel a little self-conscious about this. I mean, uh, frankly, I feel great about it because people are saying nice things about the thing we do. We have worked hard on it for a number of years, and I'm really gratified that, that people like it and that people uh, find value in it. We, we do it so that people will find value in it. And if they do, uh, you know, uh, at least in that respect, we're, do, we're doing a good job. But I, I didn't want to, like, give the impression that we were, that we were sort of fishing for compliments. But, but – um, um, the, it's very gratifying that so many came in, and I, I wonder, um, Pete, do you see a, a connection between like family and gratitude? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, Matt, it's not about you; it's about the family, right? Right? Like, like yeah, the, the gratitude and the and like like uh, the grace, right? It's not just about because somebody did bring the food. Right. Somebody brought like when you have the chicken and the Coronas and someone is thanking the great spirit for, uh, you know, 
Thank, thank you, most of all, you know, God for fast cars, right? It's, uh, when, it's thanking the great spirit for all the things that they get. There are other ways in which people get those things uh, that are that are more worldly and practical. And you got to think that, like, you, I guess it sort of gets, you can think about it in the context of kind of the new agey way that people talk about gratitude, which is sort of an existential proposition, right? This, this idea that you should talk about, you should, pro like, uh, okay. So to, to slow it down a little bit, because this gets pretty this gets pretty deep. This gets uh, it gets pretty intense uh, is that um, to to consider the fragility and the preciousness of life. Right. Against the sort of vastness and and intolerableness and uh, and just incomprehensibility of death and nothingness. Um, it is it provokes a lot of uh, terror, anxiety. Right. A lot of a lot of feelings. And one of the ways that I and people a lot and a lot of culture is about how do you cope with adjust to change uh, change your feelings right or or express yourself or express things co concepts stories notions symbols all of it right in order to to sort of steer this river in some sort of other direction than just abject horror, right? Like find something that's worth something in all this, right? Or find a way to live with it, find a way to tolerate it. And one of the ways that seems fashionable these days is to be like, well, I'm, I am so great, grateful for, uh, for what I have, right? I'm yeah. so grateful for this beautiful life that I that I have been given that I've been lucky enough to to have whether whether it's sort of given to me by somebody or something or not right because a lot of the people I think who express this kind of feeling as if it were a new thing are people who are doing it from the outside of like a formal religious structure that would like have them do it on a regular basis to a specific deity right like it's like like you're like it's not a new thing to express gratitude if you go to church right because you do great no, right, like, gratitude at church all the time yeah the, the word the, like the word eucharist is like demotic greek for thank you or something like yeah. that right but but if you don't have that kind of structure in your life uh you people are sort of arriving at this notion of gratitude for what they have and when you express gratitude for what you have in that way it's about you Right. And sort of what you are and like how you fit in to, right. the, to the grand scheme of things like it, it sort of softens the notion that the universe is rejecting you. Right. Because the universe is giving you something great. And so when you're grateful for something in the context of a family, yes, like the other family members could feel either sort of smug or bashful based on whether they think they really deserve it or whether they're comfortable being complimented or ever sort of can feel that there are enough compliments or enough validation to fill the vast holes inside of their souls. Right. That's another possibility. I might, I mean, I might be familiar with that. Might not. Uh, but uh, but this idea of like it's also about the people who are saying that they are grateful in order to, to dispose themselves towards the group towards experience right towards big experience and little experience uh with a particular stance right which can be a comfort and also can be a sort of a self-identification and and a, and, a, and a bulwark right a source of strength uh, and of beauty right um and, and and of protection and stewardship so i would say that when someone is expressing gratitude for the for overthinking it and the overthinking it family it's particularly in the way that it was in this song not in every way like sometimes people are like you guys put on a great podcast high five i'm like that was just such a spiritual thing that you just said no that's not true <laughs> like that's actually thanking us for doing a good job which is great but if somebody like expresses it like this i'm thinking that this is more like 
you know, it's become part of that person's story, right? Like that, the stories that person tells now include this experience. Then the stories that they tell kind of inform the disposition that they take of the person that they think that they are, right? Which is, you know, sometimes indistinguishable from the person that you are, right? <laughs> sometimes. So, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. And it's beautiful. You know, it's beautiful and I love it and it's great. And to be able to provide that for somebody uh, is, can be a great thing and a great comfort. Sure. Um, if that's what if that's what you're doing, and that's not to do it our own horn, because people do it much more often for things that aren't our podcast than they do for our podcast specifically. <laughs> <laughs> We're just a very very small grain of sand on a very big beach. Uh, but you know, it, we should all sort of effort in all our things, great and small, that we do. You know, it, you, there are worse moral imperatives to live with than that. You should live such that other people are grateful for the things that you've been part of. Yeah. Right. Um, so. Well, uh, let's uh, let's get to another um, submission from uh, from a listener. Uh, I will let him introduce himself and talk a little bit about the Fast and the Furious. Hi, overthinking it. I'm Jesse Heyman, all the way from Ghana, West Africa, and you might not know this, but you have a budding fan base here. Actually, most of whom were probably converted by me and my constant badgering to check out this podcast and uh, to answer the questions you put forward what does family in the Fast and Furious franchise mean to me? Two things firstly the shared lived experience of being Fast and Furious and secondly the um, the uh, common shared but unwritten code they all follow why do I say this? So, firstly, apart from, you know, the shared lived experience of driving fast cars and uh, driving out of buildings and things like that, um, these people are criminals, right? But, you know, not in the same sense as, as uh, the nature of cruelty usually applied by, you know, most criminals in their line of activity, as in, stealing cars and uh, being part of drug cartels and uh, spying and things like that. And secondly, as compared to the villains that they face, who are also criminals like them, there is a certain um, kind-heartedness and, and, and desire to achieve justice in, in their own kind of twisted but relatable way that sets them apart from other common crooks or, uh, or, or from the villain criminals in their universe. But an argument can be made that, you know, their driving in their high-stakes escapades can take some civilian life, but the general assumption is that no one really gets hurt. That already doesn't deserve it in one way or another. And that goes to answer Pete's question last week of uh, since Paul Walker is gone, what does family mean anymore in the Fast and Furious universe? And, and the answer to that for me is that if you share that experience of being Fast and Furious and, and you live by their unwritten code, which, which is also a byproduct of them being the protagonist, then you're family. First of all, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being our uh, our um publicist uh you know in West Africa. That's uh yeah. didn't even know we had one and I'm very grateful to uh well, 
I'm, big big shout out to, to Ghana specifically and all of West Africa. Little known fact, my mentor, like my sort of big sib mentor when I started at college was from Ghana. So maybe there's something about that that rubbed off on me that has all the good people of Ghana appreciating the podcast. Some some small measure of proper behavior uh, that, that they appreciate and understand uh, right. that, they've, that they've taught me uh, over the years. But, yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's and super it's great. And it's also uh, it's also great to hear, Jesse, your insights about uh, about the Fast and the Furious franchise. OK, so to summarize, to summarize. Um, to summarize uh, the family in Fast and Furious is is constituted by shared lived experience of being fast and furious, a shared but unwritten code. I think that's a good formulation, and I think it's important that it's shared and unwritten. Um, and uh, that uh, despite the kind of the manifest criminality of the heroes, um, the, the hero criminals um, – have kind-heartedness and desire to achieve justice. And uh, as you say, the villain criminals um, have a kind of cruelty uh, and a cruelty that's associated with some of the kinds of criminal enterprise that, that, uh, that you mentioned. I mean, I think I like, I, here's what I like about this. I like the idea of kind of defining family as a, um, as an intersection of different, uh, uh, intersection of different forces or phenomena rather than being like a single, a single definition, because it's, um, there are a lot of kind of counterpoise, personal, social, um, biological and so on, uh, forces. And so the idea that there is a, um, a sort of shared lived experience and a shared discursive technology that is sort of an oral tradition, as it were, uh, being important to family is is an idea that I find convincing. Mm. I think I think in particular the mechanism in families by which people learn how to act is often by example and imitation, right? And and that that kind of way of learning lends itself to uh, multifarious, like multi-deterministic causes for things and histories for things, right? Because you can learn different things from imitating different people. So, you know, so like everybody's imitating Dom, right? Or everybody is imitating, um, uh, gosh, well, Lil Bow Wow is kind of like imitating Han in Tokyo Drift a little bit, but he's also kind of setting his own pace. And there's a question of how much do you individuate, how much do you say the same? But if you're learning from multiple different people how to live, and you're doing it by their example, then yeah, then then the idea that some of the values might uh, operate under different axes or contradict with each other uh, is not a problem. I mean, it's it's a it's a problem, but it's not it's not going to get in the way of you learning, right? And it becomes a substance, a part of the substance of what you pick up, and part of the substance of then what exists among the people who participate in this sort of cycle of of learning and and growing together. Uh, I think, yeah, that I, I agree that multifariousness with all this is is. Super important. Yeah. Super important. The, the, um, it's, yeah, it's the, the, and there's, um, uh, cut. Different. This, these are each of these is a continuum. Is what I mean mm-hmm. to say, right? Like that. The sometimes, as in people, people like distant relatives who you don't see a lot, to take like literal family, um, the shared lived experience is less, but the shared unwritten code is more, right? And mm-hmm. with the people who are closer to you, the sort of shared lived ex- like siblings, for example, the shared lived experience is more, and the kind of and the code is actually a site of like distress and and uh, 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 negotiation, at least, right? Like, because who who's 
who's right, who's wrong, who's in charge, who's this, who's that, you know, is something that like siblings kind of work out uh, more or less playfully, you know, every day that they're that they're dealing with each other. And and the Fast and Furious movies address what you're talking about through that whole arc of Letty getting amnesia. Right. Because this there's this idea that Letty is is part of the family because of the shared experience that she has with Dom. Yes. And with Jesse and everybody else from the group uh, and not necessarily not Jesse, Tyrese. not not Jesse from Ghana, but Jesse. No, no, from- no, no, no. Other Jesse, Jesse from Fast and Furious one. I was talking about I try to think about the original Fast and Furious one, although maybe maybe there's like uh, maybe he was in it. And and uh, and we just didn't we didn't know up until this point that we've had members of the Fast and Furious family watching the whole time. Uh, but but this idea that once Letty's memory is gone, is she still part of the family because she doesn't have the shared experience? She doesn't possess the shared experience. And so instead, she looks for the other dimensions uh, and the other the other continua. Right. That exist uh, to, to mark out how she how these people behave with each other. Right. How she fits into how they behave with each other, which which reaches into the other dimensions that Jesse from Ghana, West Africa, is talking about. Right. With regards to criminality and kindness, which is just such a wonderful dichotomy to think and talk about. Yeah. Or I mean, or sort of criminality. I mean, it's funny because I feel like the criminality is actually part of that shared lived experience. Right. Like that being kind of uh, branded, as it were, criminals is an important sort of shared characteristic of a lot of the uh, of a lot of the characters in the in the um in the thing and and it's it's almost less a legal definition and more a kind of uh existential kind of criminality right like a a, a you know p- playing playing by one's own rules height uh just to to germanize the, the phrase a little bit right that because paul walker uh you know is a criminal at heart right even though he's uh, he's torn by his uh his, is he essentially a lawman or is he uh essentially a criminal and and a member of the gang um as the you know as the uh, as the films progress um the idea that like the idea that sort of living outside of the living outside of the limitations and also the protections of of society uh under the radar uh in a way like is is an important thing that these characters share um that is part of that or that is a basis that is the precondition for a lot of their shared lived experience that they've uh, you know that they've bonded over yeah, and I think it's important when you go all the way back to the first Fast and Furious, what was the risk, right? The law became involved with Dom because of a risk that was rising from Dom's crew stealing the DVD players. By the way, spoilers for old Fast and Furious movies. Dom's crew is stealing a bunch of DVD players, right, or televisions or whatnot. Um, and you remember what the risk was, right, Matt? Yeah, that he's – well, didn't he uh, tee off on a guy in Lompoc or something like that? Well, no, that's why he was that's why he was in the system. Right. It's because he beat up the guy who killed his dad. Yes. Right. But but the, the risk is that because of the thefts, the truck drivers are arming themselves. Oh, right. And, and they're afraid the the main concern of the law in the first Fast and Furious movie is not we need to catch these people who are stealing the DVD players. It was uh, because of these thefts, the truck drivers are arming themselves yep. and someone is going to die. 
right? And so it, it baked into that notion. And the idea is we have to stop the thefts so that the, the truck drivers stop escalating the violence. And because we want to stop the violence. That's what we want to stop. And and this is an interesting way to position these people. And it, it does locate this idea of they are criminals because of not just not just that they are criminals who have shared experience. They are criminals because of their shared experience. Right. Like not because they want money and not because they want uh, they you know, they want to have a Lamborghini instead of a, instead of a souped up Nissan SX or whatever it is. Honda uh, Civics, that- black Honda Civics right? <laughs> with the green just with the green light kind of glowing yeah. underneath. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Is that like is that everybody acknowledges that what these people are doing is is expected, right? It's like, well, there are going to be people who are going to steal DVD players, right? We're not trying to we're not assuming that this is a world where nobody tries to steal things from trucks, right? What we're trying to do is is treat all these people like people and figure out how, what's the sort of moral way uh, to to make the world better. Where do we where do we where do we justify where do we draw a line that justifies our own intervention? Uh-huh. Not necessarily a difference between right and wrong, but the difference between us caring and us not caring. And in the later Fast and Furious movies, this line tends to be drawn around like doomsday weapons, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> like like rampant groups of of deranged terrorists, right? Like uh, you know, like the the entire organized crime and or private sector of Brazil, right? Like uh, it's uh, there's the the stakes of the the sort of the line that they draw that says, okay. This we're going to deal with. <laughs> I think now I believe what they say it is the very definition of high tech terrorism. <laughs> Charlize Theron with the white girl dreads is like where the line is drawn, uh, which, by the way, don't necessarily come with a shared experience, which hardly <laughs> justifies them. Although maybe it will. Maybe we'll learn. But but that's just what I was saying is that like uh, is that Letty like it's not that Letty meets these people and he's like, oh, my God, they're stealing things. Right. It's it's like, uh, you know, she has she comes to understand, like, why they've been stealing things. I don't know. I think they don't I have families and getting you know. a, yeah, getting a, uh, a shared experience. I mean, I feel like uh, getting hair extensions is a shared experience that a lot of <laughs> a lot of people can can talk about. Yeah. But but Letty, as she's yeah, it's funny. It's the the what Letty's kind of reeducation does, what the ungaslighting of her gaslighting or the the the. It's a high octane gaslight, by the way, <laughs> fueled with nitrous. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, high the, compression ratio. The nozlighting the, the of yeah. uh, uh, of of lead. And it's I mean, it's in, it's interesting, right? Like, we, you know, we talk about gaslighting in terms of like psychological manipulation and very unhealthy uh, or abusive dynamic in in relationships and in societies. I suppose um, the the uh, it is. Um, there are like less uh, nefarious processes of indoctrination and uh, persuasion, um, and some of them happen in families, right? Like so, the the uh, coming to understand the real the like the real meaning of of things, or coming to kind of uh, to accept a kind of shared or official um official version of facts and what what the re-education of Letty does, the re-re-education uh of Letty does is it allows that kind of it allows the statement of values to come out again, though though with a sort of difference, as you say, no no longer like just keeping the peace on on the highways down by San Pedro or whatever, uh the port of Los Angeles. The the it's it's now, you know, prevent preventing uh uh world destruction and and you know total domination by anarchy 99 wait sorry mixed up (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry. That's like me calling him John Taffer when he's really John Taffer. Taffer. Well, actually, myself on that. But but actually, here's a here's a rare situation to cite too fast, too furious, right? which is uh, <laughs> which is often not grouped into uh, heavy uh, idea driven conversations about no, the it's, series. It's more episodic. It's more an episodic uh, sort of thing rather than the highly serialized, um, you know, uh, the highly yeah. serialized one that 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 takes from you know fast fast and furious on yeah but in that one right it's that the idea is that paul walker and tyrese uh grew up together and they have share they have both a shared experience and also a commitment which is i think is i think one of the one of the dimensions that jesse from ghana west africa uh doesn't talk about in in his summary is the idea of having a commitment to each other Right. This idea that you have that you um, that you that you owe other people service or or uh, rescue. Right. Or not bar rescue necessarily, but other kinds of rescue. Right. That if people are in trouble, you help them. Right. Which is sort of like shared experience and sort of like having a code and sort of like being kind. But by creating an in-group of the family versus the out-group, uh, I mean, first of all, it presents everybody with the problem of, like, where are the limits of empathy, right? Do I care about everybody as much as I care about Tyrese? If I'm Paul Walker in Too Fast, Too Furious, no, right? Like, if I'm Tyrese, I, I would not be participating in Too Fast, Too Furious. Where Did my character not care more about Paul Walker than about, like, other things in the world, right? Um or other people. But what happens in Too Fast, Too Furious is through Ludacris, right? We get, and through John Singleton, the director, we get the sort of expansion of, of their kinship t- throughout car culture in Miami, right? Where sort of all the people who drive souped up cars in Miami come pouring out of Ludacris's uh, garages. Right. And and signify to everybody like, no, your shared experience, your shared experience. And but your shared the shared experience is not a necessary condition for a shared commitment. And, and we have we have a similar and analogous experience. Maybe it's shared. Maybe it's different. But but we but through our shared values, through the other mechanisms, through all these continuing intersecting, we can also come and save you from the cut rate cable TV quality gangster that threatens Paul Walker and Tyrese throughout uh-huh. Too Fast, Too Furious with arbitrary challenges, with arbitrary rules. Uh, but uh, but at any rate, I was just saying that like uh, that there are places in the Fast and the Furious where the commitment of the family goes from large to small. And there are places in Fast and the Furious where the commitment of the family goes from small to large. The, uh, and, and along these continua, you know the the um, I'm uh, yeah I'm I'm reminded as I often am of of um, Robert Frost's uh, the death of the hired man um, when the the husband and wife uh, compete in their definition of home. Uh, right, because I think like we haven't talked about home, the idea of home, wh- what is homey, what makes a home, right? But it's it's uh, linked up with this this idea of family and and what makes a family is the idea of of home and what makes a home. Um, and the two the two definitions the um, the uh, the husband's is uh, that he sort of um, it's it's a dramatic poem. It's it's like a there's a narrative that goes along, and and the husband is like being sarcastic and and a dick and. And, uh, and he says, home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. 
when you have to go there, they have to take you in. And then the wife picks up, uh, and you can tell because of the, the quotation marks in a new, a new line. But she actually finishes his line, and the enjambment, uh, the, the kind of the speech, the line continuing in her speech is important because it sort of um, it undercuts him a little bit. Uh, and she says, I should have called it something you somehow haven't to deserve. Anyway, I'll, I'll say it again without all my editorializing. Home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. I should have called it something you somehow haven't to deserve. Um, right. And these are two uh, with with like uh, with which is which is like the opposite of a Ferrari four five eight or something like <laughs> right. that. Right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I was thinking about it with I mean, you're talking about sort of the the uh, shared as a sense of. Um, uh, shared commitment to get one another's back, right? And that's, um, you know, uh, that's a, that is a sort of home idea to me, right? Like something, something you somehow haven't to deserve. It's a resource that you can call on without, without, necessar- without necessarily needing to make your case, Right mm-hmm. for why yeah for why you're calling on it and this is why it was appropriate to welcome Vin Diesel back to the franchise uh, after yeah. a couple of uh, after a couple of movies right because like it's not you know uh, uh, home is the place that you you don't have to deserve right you don't have to make your case that you you belong at home you just it's, go home, home is the place where you probably you probably don't probably doesn't deserve is what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> so so two things about that one. I think the fast cars play into this hugely in Fast and the Furious in this concept, and I'm not lying, right? Because a fast car is, is – so if you remember in the first Fast and the Furious movie, this is another big thing that changes along with the ideas of sort of perceived value is the sort of availability of fancy expensive things, right? Because in the first movie, remember, they drag race – Vin Diesel and Paul Walker drag race a guy in like a $100,000 car, Right. And they're driving a souped up car, which they probably bought for like five thousand dollars. Right. And uh, and like decked it out. Right. And added the NOS and various other things that void the warranty, which had long since expired anyway. But but then later on, it's like, oh, man, we're going to drive, you know, this, you know, Aston Martin DB. 10, you know, we're going to we're going to drive this, you know, uh, you know, Porsche 911 RX RZ 135 carbon fiber, right? Like all these fancy cars. We're going to drive an all-terrain Dodge Charger with a 1000 horsepower and a and a tow hitch, right? And a winch that can pull a tank, you know, all this kinds of stuff. Um status cars, fancy cars are a symbol of dessert. Uh, both, I mean, you could say both ways. They're a dessert in that they that they are a sweet thing, and they are not the substance, right? Like they are not your daily. Uh, they're not the thing that gets you back and forth to the store uh, for your meat and bread. But uh, but also in the sense that like they're a they're a status symbol of something that you've achieved or something you were given, right? Something that you have, right? You you have to you have to have earned this car either by being like a privileged and elite person, uh, or, or by or like a certain stat social class, or you have to be able to afford it. Uh, by getting making a lot of money um, or you're like a race car driver. Right. And you get to drive a super fast car for your job. Right. Or or you're like lo- working for a slick company that sells them. But the point being that like being in a super fancy car uh, has a message to it that you that you deserve it. Now, it might not necessarily be a sense of deserving that we would all agree with. Right. Like somebody who inherits a billion dollars doesn't necessarily deserve a fancy car, but they drive a fancy car to show you that they deserve it. Right. Uh, it's sort of it's sort of that sense. Right. And there's something about taking all the people who are in the Fast and Furious movies. Right. People who are who are 
their characters are from really disadvantaged backgrounds. The actors are from a variety of parts parts of the world and ethnic ethnicities, ethnic identities that are un underrepresented, that are historically disadvantaged in a lot of ways, right? Uh, and they go around to all sorts of different places in the world and travel those places in the world in order to do their fasting and their furiousing, which are not necessarily the places where they live or where they where their their house in Los Angeles, right? Their their that that address which meant so much to them and then exploded, right? Uh, <laughs> hey, but no, they're in Rio. No, they're in Dubai. You know, no, they're driving off of a brand new all glass skyscraper built in the middle of Kazakhstan for some reason, right? Like, I mean, that's not what happened, but there's Wait, a lot Dubai, of. Wait, I thought I thought Abu Dhabi, not it was not Abu Dhabi. You're right, different, you're right. different Emirate. And different. I got my emirate mixed up, <laughs> but, but uh, the, the, yeah. But yeah. you know what I'm saying, right? Is that like the the Fast and the Furious family is it doesn't have to deserve the cars that they drive because of their money or because of their privilege because they just deserve them for being awesome, right? Yeah. There's a there's <laughs> yeah. a moral there's a moral dessert, right? There's there's yeah. a kind of there's a kind of merit, and it's not you know it's not like being born it's not like being born with a skill. It's you know it's all that swing and a wrench. In in Dom's garage, right? That you know that that they deserve it from. They, they sort of it's like dues. You know, we we sort of distinguish between people who have paid their dues and people who haven't paid their dues. Whatever right. that means to you, in whatever area of endeavor you're talking about. Um, and and they uh, yeah. have they have sort of paid their dues. Uh, and you know, not their dues to the country club. No, to the country. Uh, well, it's funny because Kurt Russell is in this, right? And he's Jack Burton, right? And he's like, one of these days, you know, someone's going to bash your favorite habit against the wall and ask you if you paid your dues. And uh, you just tell him what all Jack Burton said. A check is in the mail, right? Uh, but, um, but also, it's interesting that this that this recording is coming to us from West Africa, from Ghana, West Africa, which I love. I love that sort of that that climax of it. Ghana, West Africa, right? It like builds in energy and expands in size, right? Uh, you know, first Almost you're a country, like, yeah. then you're a region, then you're a continent, right? right. And then you're energy to it. Yeah, that, like like you used to sort of write your address when you were a tiny child, right? Like you know, uh, the Western Hemisphere. Earth, the solar system, the Milky Way galaxy, the universe. Yeah. Right. And it's one of those childlike things that's true for everybody and we just lose it. Right. Rather than one of those childlike things that stops being true. But but yeah, but that but that um to go back to the Robert Frost poem, the two definitions of of home, right? The place where they have a commitment to you that they have to take care of you if you go there, right? Uh versus the place where you can be there without deserving to be there and when i think about the sort of both the sort of globe trotting fast and furious family and the overthinking it family i think we're much more of the second group like i don't expect to go to ghana and be like well you have to take me in because you like my podcast right like uh you know that that's not what i would plan to do that would be incredibly rude and misunderstand things but i could say that like that there's a quality of kinship between the overthinkers in Ghana and like the overthinkers in Belarus and like the overthinkers in Poland and in the US and in other parts of Europe, right? Uh, and and I mean all over the place, Canada. We even even our those of us on staff who are from Canada and whatnot. Tim Swan, wherever you are. You know, uh, well, yeah, hope you're doing I mean, great. I, this actually <laughs> makes me think, like the of the time in in 2012 uh, during the 
um, the London Olympics when I was in the UK and we sort of had a uh, we had an overthinking a meetup, you know. And uh, yeah, Tim Swan came out, and and I remember like Richard and the whole. I've I have a whole list of of uh, of all the people who were there, uh, and even some uh, even some Los Angeles residents who were on vacation. Um, uh, Tom and Fran came out to uh, came out, and we you know became became friends. I you know I don't know. I feel like I feel like by not uh, going around acting like you deserve it, uh, paradoxically, better things will happen. Um, better things will will happen to you. Uh, let's move on to a. Um, Let's move on to uh, a letter that we got from Howard. Uh, listener Howard uh, writes in, and uh, and I'm I'm going to read it in my own voice because we don't have a recording of him. Uh, Howard says, "I've been listening since around episode 100. I have memories of Captain Michael Ironsides of the USS Ironsides." <laughs> Which is Terminator Salvation, right? <laughs> uh, wait, no, it was Battleship. I thought. Oh, no, no, Battleship. It's Leslie Nielsen, or right? Is it? Uh, oh, or is it? Is it Battleship? Is John? Yeah, uh, Michael Ironsides. I might have my Michael Ironsides wrong. It might be. It might have been that Michael Ironside is in Terminator Salvation, and we talked about him being in Terminator Salvation, but we talked about him being in Battleship more. I think, <laughs> like on the Terminator Salvation podcast, we were like more interested. Is he even? in battleship because he's in a lot of things i thought he was Uh, i thought he was i thought he was a battleship commander early in the early in the battleship uh or in the early in the um confrontation with the the malevolent alien force I'm not seeing it in his filmography nor remembering it, but he's done many such things. Like he's done many, many, many such things. So in any way, and his point, and yeah. the point, the, but I remember the point of that joke was that he didn't have like a character name or a backstory, but he didn't really yeah. need one, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Because we usually we often talk about the actor rather than the character, just because it's hard to remember all these names and they don't matter. Yeah. But like with Michael Ironsides, they really don't matter. Right? Like I really don't care what the name you know, of your character. You know who is, is great at character names? Being a, a novel writer, John Parrish, right? Like, mm, is yeah. always like is always on point with remembering the the uh, specific character names. It always impresses me when he does it. Mm. Um, uh, all right, pushing on Howard. Uh, talking Leslie Nielsen's passing as I drove through the rain and Scott Pilgrim versus the World with Amanda Marcotte. Uh, I was in grad school in Ohio at the time, doing a PhD in experimental physics, and the nature of that meant that I spent a lot of time alone in labs doing op and other stuff. It felt pretty lonely at times. I grew up in California, so I was in a new state dealing with snow for basically the first time in my life and spending a lot of time in the dark by myself late into the night. So for me, having the podcast give me something to think about while my experiments were running, um, uh, having the podcast gave me something to think about while my experiments were running, and it made me feel less alone hearing my smart, funny friends from the internet and writing comments. I've since defended and uh, moved on to a new job, and I don't listen quite as religiously as I used to, but I'll always carry that experience with me. Along these lines, doing the PhD gave me an academic lineage. Research groups uh, develop their own culture. Uh, I feel like for mine, giving your first talk to the group is what cements your status. Uh, I had a friend whose group passed down an old donut, but we didn't have anything like that. Thanks for all the shows, guys. Howard. Well, thank that you. Was such a, you know. That's just such a spiritual thank you that really hits me and talks to me. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you've been handed an old donut, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Soul donut, right? Oh, that's great. 
That's so great. By the way, I, what this tells you is that if you're working on a PhD, listening to the Overthinking It podcast will guarantee that you defend successfully. Right. <laughs> exactly. It, it's like Mozart for babies, but for PhD students. <laughs> So the idea, I mean, okay, uh, there, there's a lot here, right? Yeah, that's really, it's really arrogant. I'm getting really arrogant. I'm sorry. So take us back to the topic and away from my own puffed up ego, please. No, this is why we weren't, we weren't asking for, for uh, to have our, to have our egos puffed up. And the yeah, it's fact not about that, us. It's about the family. It's right? about the family. family. It's about the family. 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 Uh, the, Say unto. <laughs> I, I don't have friends. I have family. Um, the. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so a couple of interesting, I mean, a couple of interesting things here, like th- doing something while doing something else is an, is an interesting, interesting phenomenon, right? And like the idea that even at like high levels of intellectual endeavor, right? Like getting a PhD, which is the, you know, uh, the sort of highest academic credential that you can get, um, that there are moments of, of drudgery that you need like distraction during. Right. And that, that like, uh, you know, that sort of, as you're working in the garage, as it were in the academic garage, right? Like, uh, that putting something, putting something on the radio, uh, not only occupies your mind, but sort of makes you feel somehow less alone is it is a, a sort of provocative and, and interesting idea. Um, and and then here the the other thing is like we actually haven't talked about lineage a lot. We're, we're we're sort of talking about spiritual families and not necessarily like families of families of descent, right? But um, there you know there is there is an idea of a spiritual family that has descent in in the sort of various kinds of apostolic succession uh, that that permeate different different professions or or groups um you familiar with apostolic succession i'm sure you are pete yes it's the laying on of hands right it is well sort of it's it's conferred by the laying on of hands yeah. it's the idea that uh the current bishops of uh you know uh name your church right like it's i'm catholic so the current bishops of the roman catholic church were uh created uh no you're created cardinal you're consecrated bishop Maybe we're you're, but, you're a made man is what it's called. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They were bishopified by people who were bishopified by people who were bishopified by a long line of people going back to the apostles, right? And so there is this kind of succession, and it's conferred by the laying on of 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 hands. Now this is an elaborate like uh, modern era retcon, but but set that aside as it, it's important as a story, right? And it's 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 so it's important the ways in which we symbolically approximate uh, lineage, you know. And this is this is a thing that happens with psychoanalysts, right? Like I was analyzed by James Gooch, who was analyzed by Pian, who was analyzed by blah 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 blah, blah Freud. Yeah. Something, something, something Freud, right? Or uh, my supervising professor was such and such, whose supervising professor was such and such, whose supervising professor was Jesus, or, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Jesus didn't have tenure. He, uh, he had his tenure rejected. Well, I mean, this is the th- a lot of. <laughs> but three days lo- later, he came back as an adjunct. Uh, <laughs> a lot, you know, there are in. Uh, 
in like uh, grad student degree granting institutions, there are adjuncts supervising PhD theses. Uh, it's all you know. The casualization oh, yeah. of academic labor is is no joke. But the um, you know, but the idea of sort of apostolic succession, right? Like, is uh, is an interesting one. We all met the the, the uh, founding group of Overthinking. It met in a marching band, right? And the idea that the drum major, uh, you know, there was like a passing down of the of the uh, sort of baton or whatever. It's not an actual baton because it wasn't. The sweater that was more of the salient, but it yeah. was you had to make your own sweater like a lightsaber, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The the drum major crafted uh, his or her own sweater, um, but but the, in the same style as the other one. So you sort of you there's there's an aspect of kind of giving up individuality and adopting individuality because you have to make your own, but yours is like everybody else's. Uh, that 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 goes goes into that. And so this idea of lineage uh, and family is is important, and the it, it's most interesting I think when you have to kind of create it mythologically. Uh, rather than being supplied it by, you know, biological descent. Right, which is sort of what they do in Fast and the Furious. Well, because some of the people in Fast and the Furious are related by blood, right? Nor, nor, uh, nominally, uh, primarily, Dom Toretto and his sister, played by Jordana Brewster, right, are, are the sort of, they're related by blood, but then there is a succession of, uh, you know, Dom teaches, uh, Don knows Han, Right. And then Han knows Bow Wow and then Bow Wow knows Sean. Right. And so and so the and then in the in actually Tokyo Drift deals with a lot of this because there's the old gangster drifter. Right. And then there's like the current DK. Right. And then there's whoever's going to follow the DK. Right. The Drift King. Right. This in, in, in Tokyo Drift, there are uh, sort of far flung relationships of lineage where uh the person who is the best driver in a given situation is sort of expected to have some sort of connection to somebody who is either a greater driver than they are or like a more prominent member of the japanese underground right is uh is sort of the way that the tokyo drift kind of hidden society works so you have you, um, have, you like you have a rabbi yeah <laughs> Uh, you have a hand. You have a handbrake. That's which is about as you don't. You don't have to clip the end of it off. Uh, that's uh, sorry. That's a bad joke. That's a bad joke. But but that's interesting, right? Uh, lineage, our lineage, the way that you teach people. I mean, the classic example of of, of lineage and of all this is is like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Alexander the Great, right? Where like Socrates was the teacher of Plato, Plato was the teacher of Aristotle, Aristotle was the tutor for Alexander the Great. Uh, and yet we only really know about Socrates teaching Plato like from Plato. And then we don't really know a ton about what Alexander the Great thought about anything other only what he did about stuff. Right. Uh, and only that in a very broad sense. Um, but it's interesting. Right. And improv is like this where all of the improv comedy troops in the country trace their lineage back to like one of like maybe two or three different schools led by one or two or three different people. Yeah, um, Del, yeah, Del yeah. Close or, yeah, uh, or Keith Johnstone. OK. Yeah, they, that's a different style. Uh, if you're if you're involved in any of the sort of competitive improv sports shows, uh, where like people wear referee jerseys and run around, then you're in like the Keith Johnstone tradition. Viola Spolin. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. She's oh yeah, Viola Spolin and the Compass Players are the ancestors of Del Close. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it all comes together. It all comes together. Well, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it happens. I mean, it happens in acting training. I, 
Yeah, absolutely. I can tell you. Oh, yeah. um, you know, going back to usually generally going back to Stanislavski, right? Like, and this is an interesting, this is an interesting thing. There's sort of founding moments. And then there are like, uh, there are sort of chains of, uh, chains of descent that, that go off from them and sort of Dom is, Dom is an original, right? Like, you know, and not just because his name is Dom, <laughs> <laughs> uh, not just because he's dominant. Uh, right. You know, he's he's an original. He was sort of, you know, they broke the mold when when they made him. Or, uh, or well, Dom. Whatever. The thing is that Dom has a lineage, but Dom's lineage isn't relevant to anyone else. And so the lineage that emerges from Dom has sort of a discontinuity, yeah. right? Because Don is the son of his father, who was a race car driver. Yep. And so, so Dom thinks that he's connected to something that came before him, but he, Dom is an Aeneas figure, right? Not an Odysseus figure, right? Where, where he took one legacy that was sort of dis, he was dispossessed from and went and he founded a different legacy. Uh, and then people embraced him as the founder of that legacy, right? Um, yeah, it's interesting to think of families. Like, does your family have like a – and again, this is also a, this is also one of the ways in which gender norms and this is sexual uh, – sexual, sorry, sexist prejudices, not sexual prejudices. That's a different thing. Uh, but sexist prejudices get passed along is that if the – what is the way in which the lineage is passed along, right? And whatever method is used to pass along the lineage is going to inform who kind of has the authority to frame what the lineage is and how it works. Yeah. Right. And so, like, you you have both men and women in patrilineal society, you know, patrilineal, patrimonial, uh, patriarchal societies, but the women don't get the same say that the men do in who gets to decide who gets to be in charge. Yep. Right. Which is a couple different layers of abstraction. But like, there you go. And and so it matters. It doesn't just matter who's in the family. It matters who gets to be in the family. And it matters how the family gets passed down in the upcoming movie, which, of course, I haven't read any reviews of or any previews of really just seen a commercial or two. Like if Dom really goes rogue, that leaves the question who becomes the head of the family. And that's a question of lineage more than a question of shared experience or a question of shared values or a question of kindness. Now, they may choose to resolve the dispute through an idea of shared experience. They can be like, well, you know, well, you were you fought in the battle of Yavin four with Dom. Right. So like you, you know, you, Tyrese, should uh, should should be able to lead the family. But at the same time, then it's sort of like the storyteller becomes uh, uh, storytelling becomes a sort of lineage. You know, the shared experience. I don't know. It's sort of saga style, right? Like the family of the saga. A saga is a family story. And and the way that and the way that things pass along in sagas is uh, is a little bit different than how they pass along in some of these orders sort of models for family that we're talking about. So so speaking of speaking of sagas and families and sort of the idea of uh, of kind of a history that continues, here is a, a letter from Nathan. Uh, listener Nathan writes in to say, I found overthinking it in 2011, my college freshman year, during a period of video-recorded Nerf gun kayfabe between a burgeoning group of friends. Uh, naturally, as you do, Nathan. Um, so wait, was the, was the Nerf gun in kayfabe, or was there like a performance of kayfabe like were the outcome of the nerf gun battles predetermined <laughs> or i guess wait he can't tell us he can't tell us because he's in kayfabe Got right, it. exactly <laughs> the nerf gun battles were real and many people died <laughs> uh one of us shared matthew belinky's 40 inspirational speeches in two minutes video as a rallying cry in support of a plastic armed and university themed militia the rangers of danger I like it. On the night of the video's share, uh, 
<laughs> That's quite a Latinate phrase right there. I love it. Yeah, it's no, it's good. I mean, it 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 keeps you from having to uh, uh, end a sentence with a end a clause with a preposition. That's for sure. Yep. Uh, I searched for the video source, wondering what is overthinking it. I read Peter Fenzel's article: "A Muppet of a Marxist or a Very Marxist Muppet." I lived in a small town, rural Oklahoma, all my short life at that point, and the very possibility of the article's question blew my mind. As my sole previous experience of popular culture criticism had been Chuck Klosterman's Eating the Dinosaur. Impressed, I started listening to the podcast, and then my Protestant evangelical impulse kicked in, and I said, okay, this is too much overthinking it, and I stopped. (laughs) It's the name of the website! (laughs) Thinking I was not the kind of person to spend hours listening to academic discussions of action movies. Uh, I have now listened to almost every episode of the Overthinking It podcast thus far, and I can mark my interest in pop culture and my college friends' fandoms in uh, 80s action movies, cartoons, and comic books with episodes and articles from the Overthinking It site. I remember the initiation rituals of John Parrish and Ben Adams, as well as how interesting Gossip Girl became with Ryan Sheely's political science perspective. Uh, I also remember Kyle Reese asking, what is a condom? But that's probably not important. When I listen to your podcast, I think of my friends, our collective histories and the culture, uh, gifs and references, and conversations we shared and generated and will continue to share. Uh, thank you for being there, friends of Overthinking It. Well, thank you, Nathan, for, for, writing, that, for writing that message. I mean, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing to think of a family or to think of a, like, a social group, an organization, as a, like, a, a discourse creation machine, right? Right. Like sharing videos around, you know, you you can imagine before the Internet that it was like it would be, you know, uh, the charge of the light brigade or something that you would share with your Nerf gun battle uh, or your mafia team or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever you're doing on on uh, on your college campus. Right. Like for for me, it was the uh, any given Sunday peace with inches speech uh uh, by Al Pacino that I would like play for people to get them jazzed up. Yeah. I, yep. I I had a, a colleague once that I worked worked with on a theater production, a professional actor, um, who to psych himself up would go off uh, by himself uh, in his dressing room or in a hallway somewhere and do the whole Alec Baldwin "Coffee Is for Closers" speech, uh, <laughs> just to get himself kind of amped up for the for a show, just to kind of attain the level of energy that he needed to do uh, to do professional theater. It was Shakespeare, I think. It was um, uh, "As You Like It," and really, you know, dancing around in the forest of Arden with Duke Sr. and his, uh, his band of outcasts uh, is just like, you know, working in a, uh, working in a Chicago uh, uh, shady fly-by-night real estate uh, scam operation. Was that, was that Chicago? I thought it was Florida. Well, the, maybe the leads were in Florida. Yeah, the, Never mind. The, the property was in Florida, but okay, I, think okay, the, gotcha. I think the office was in Chicago. Gotcha, um, gotcha. The the it's, it's often done with a New York accent. It shouldn't be. It should be done with a Chicago accent. And and if you do it, it's a it's a totally different um, it's a totally different vibe. I you know I I just uh, we did it as an experiment in grad school once, and it's it's a different play in a different accent. Anyway, uh, this has nothing to do with uh, with. Um, what Nathan has said, and and he brings up a theme that I think is common to to a lot of of discoveries of sort of 
subculture type families, which is like, I never knew there were so many people that could be into X. Right. And, and that that's an important, uh, you know, that's an important thing, right? Like when you find your, your Comic-Con friends or your, uh, you know, what have you, I don't know, P, can you think of another example of, uh, of, of this sort of thing? Like, you know, fellow cat fanciers or whatever it happens. Oh, to be. <laughs> oh like like car enthusiasts. Oh, hey, hey. <laughs> like the cars for cars and coffee people who go to go to. Is, is that what you're talking about? Different sort of groups of people that share an interest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there, there are some like there's somewhere it's like, oh, yeah, the YMCA has like an organized group that meets, uh, you know, that oh. meets once a month. But then there are others. I guess nothing is obscure anymore. I'm sure like meetup.com, you know, for whatever. Uh, you know, in in a big enough metropolitan area, we'll have some sort of social organization for whatever. Uh, are you, you're talking about a social organization that's so obscure that nobody knows where to find people that are part of it. Yeah, I mean, there was one I was part of once, which was that I used to write parody comedy about Magic the Gathering, <laughs> like like, and I won contests for doing it a couple times. <laughs> and so I would go to a website, and I, and some of the people from that website still talk to me. One of them just congrats uh, if if uh, Ray Ray out there, if Blister Guy is out there uh, from the old Good Gamery days. Uh, he just congratulated me on my engagement. So big ups to him. And, and I hope that he knows how much I admired him uh, as, as a content guy and as a, as a writer uh, before he ever heard this podcast. Uh, but yeah, like I, I was, I was part of a sort of, uh, I sort of sought out and, and sort of bummed around on the internet with for a while a community of much, much better Magic: The Gathering players than myself, uh, who uh, one of them sort of fronted the site with a web comic about Magic: The Gathering, which was called Pro MTG uh, Online, I think. Uh, Pro MTG, and, and uh, it was on Good Gamery, and uh, and and I. I wrote a couple of pieces for it for a couple of their contests uh, that, w- that were pretty funny. Anyway, but, but like, where are you going to find people like, oh, I want to write a parody article about magic cards, but like, I don't want to do it alone. <laughs> like, how do you, how do you answer that question? The loneliest, that kind of, yeah. The, the, the loneliest solitude is truly the solitude of the, the author of, of, you know, short humorous pieces about magic, the gathering. Well, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't feel very lonely. It, regular life felt lonely. <laughs> Like that didn't feel lonely. I was in that sort of alone late at night in the dark stance that Howard was talking about uh, in that part of my life when yeah. I was doing that. But um, but yeah. So is that sort of what you're asking about? This sort of idea of like, is your interest common or uncommon? Yeah. Or rare I, or mythic rare? Perhaps? Yeah. <laughs> Foil. <laughs> Judge uh, Provo? <laughs> Is it a guru land? No, sorry. Got to stop making magic we, we are uh, We are getting uh, we're getting punchy. Maybe it's time to... Uh, to well, let, let me say one more thing about Nathan's... One more thing about Nathan's piece. R- r- one more quick thing about Nathan's piece, um, which, is, uh, which is just that um, we've talked about people who get in a family because they're born into it or because it's passed down to them through a lineage. We've talked about people get into a family because they have a shared experience with somebody. And then that shared experience has kind of rituals associated with it. And that kind of solidifies into something that lasts. We've talked about families that share values, right? We've shared, talked about families that share economic activity, but yeah, this idea of, I want to be part of something. So I am going to go find it. Right. It is, is a different way that you can become part of a family, which is really, I guess, uh, what I guess the rock is like that in fast and the furious where he like, didn't know he wanted to be part of the family until he found it. 
Right. And then he's like, oh, yeah, like these guys are pretty great. And, and they like uh, reckless law enforcement as much as I do <laughs> and uh, miniguns. So I'm on board. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's uh, well, I mean, if you're the rock, all guns are miniguns. Yeah, good point. He's good point. just a, a huge statured guy, you know. That's true. That's uh, true. But uh, but yeah, the the I mean, the thing I, I yeah, I guess the thing I was trying to trying to articulate is that like um, you find the thing that answers that like that longing in your soul that you didn't totally even know was there, you know, and that that like. Um, uh, that that is a that that is a, a sort of family or a sort of profound uh, a, a profound experience of belonging, you know, um, and that's uh, you know it's and it's wonderful and like uh, it's nice to be at the nexus of a lot of people who uh, who find that doing cool stuff like spending an hour and change talking about the Fast and the Furious franchise mm-hmm. in uh, in connection with ideas of family. All right, Peter, are you excited for next week? Man, you know, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit out of gas right now, but you know, there's stations to refuel on every corner, so I'm sure I'll be ready to rock and roll by the time time comes. Uh, my fiance bought me tickets to this movie weeks before I asked her to marry me. It's actually it's it's a, she proposed right like with yeah. a with a, a box that you opened and had two tickets to the uh, had two tickets to the to the good theater right. Yeah, and then I saw that and raised it with the, rest of our, with the rest of our lives. So there you go. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Snuggle seats, right, with no armrest in the middle. Oh yeah. That, oh well, man. Yeah. Well, pay pay attention. Don't don't get all don't get all lovely with lovey with your fiance. You know, as wonderful uh, as wonderful thing as it is to be engaged. You know, just remember you have a serious obligation to your overthinking it family to uh, <laughs> subject. The fate of the furious to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.